Hello and welcome to Interfilm Recommends, a podcast for film club leaders which highlights new and classic titles for you to explore with your clubs. My name's Michael and this week I'm joined by Joe and we're from the programming team here at Interfilm. We create a selection of the most interesting and educationally relevant films out there and add them to our catalogue where they're available for schools and film clubs to order for free. Today's secondary theme podcast is Into Summer, and we're going to do something a little bit different. With a summer break just days away, we've broken from our usual format to provide you with six films to enjoy over the break, some of which you might have missed while they were released in cinemas. You can watch these films as a club leader, maybe in preparation for the new term, or perhaps you'd prefer to recommend them to students for them to watch in their own time. Or maybe you're just looking to catch up with some of the films that have dominated the cultural conversation so far this year. We'll be looking at six big films, all of which are now out on DVD and available to order. So in no particular order, we have The Danish Girl, The Revenant, Joy, Bridge of Spies, The Big Short and Spotlight. The first film we have is The Danish Girl. Uh, This is set in the 1920s and based on a true story which follows the life of Danish artist Einar Weiner and his wife Gerda. And this is a 15 certificate by the BBFC. And we've put it at 14 plus because we think it really benefit from uh, the widest possible audience considering the issues discussed here. And it's a a fictionalised account of Einar's life and his uh, increasing realisation that he feels uh, he should be living his life as a woman. Could you help me with something? Anything. Gola has an extra rehearsal. She cancelled again. Oh. Would you try on those stockings and shoes? I'm just so behind. I don't know how I'll be finished in time for a rope. I'll, I'll do it. It's fine, I'll do it. Yeah, it starts off in quite a playful way, doesn't it? But as the story develops, it becomes, you know, much more sensitive and much more impactful on their marriage for obvious reasons. Yeah, as you say, it is sensitive, it's, it's emotional and it is um, quite moving from British director Tom Hooper. As you say, it does begin with a more comical approach almost, this idea of dress up, which soon turns into something much deeper. And I think it it sort of sucks audience in, uh, audiences in, in in that way. So what we should say as well is this idea of transgender representation on screen is um, becoming bigger and bigger. Over the last couple of years, we've seen films like Tangerine, 52 Tuesdays and Dallas Bias Club, all in very different ways um, addressing this issue, either through the cast or through the characters. But this is probably the most high-profile portrayal of a transgender character um, thus far. Yeah, and it's also worth saying that, you know, this is at a time, and it's set at a time when trans issues were very much unheard of, when we're in no way part of a conversation as they are now. So that really plays into the themes, themes of the film as well, doesn't it? It's a culture shock for for those involved in the film. And then the other thing we that we you know we shouldn't fail to recognize is how well designed the whole thing is. Um, as we say it's a period piece and maybe the 1920s is somewhere we can go in film uh, on occasion, but 1920s Denmark is far more unlikely. It's it's not as easy to access. But here everything is pitch perfect. So we've got the props, the paintings, costumes and all the set designs really reflecting a particular era and the time and the place appears to be 
captured uh, perfectly. So moving on to discuss the Revenant, um, which is a 15 certificate, and we've got a slightly higher age rating of 16 plus um, for reasons that will become obvious during the film. But suffice to say, it's very, very violent and very bloody. Um, but for anybody who doesn't know, it's the brutal and visceral thriller from Mexican director Alejandro Inarritu, who previously directed Birdman, who, which he won an Oscar for. And it seems destined, I think, to be forever remembered as the film that finally won Leonardo DiCaprio his Oscar. It tells the semi-true story of a frontiersman called Hugh Glass, who's out exploring the American wilderness in the 1820s before he's savagely attacked by a bear and left for dead by other members of his team. Surviving against the odds, he then hauls himself through the wintry wilderness across thousands of miles of terrain, searching for the man who abandoned him and murdered his young son in front of his eyes, consumed with thoughts of revenge. So it's a really, really intense film in many, many ways, um, not least with the performances. As I mentioned with Leonardo DiCaprio, he really kind of throws the kitchen sink at this role and it's a very powerful physical performance, did all of his own stunts and there's some remarkable footage in there, which I won't go into and spoil, but, you know, it's very difficult to believe that what you're seeing on screen is really happening. And he's ably supported by lots of up-and-coming young actors, young and up-and-coming British actors, actually like Domhnall Gleeson and Tom Hardy. And I really want to give a shout-out for Will Poulter as well, who's um, a friend of Interfilm and plays a young member of the expedition who volunteers to stay behind and help look after Glass following his injuries. And in a film that's really packed with quite flashy eye-catching performances, it's fair to say, he stands out in a very unassuming way and gives his character some genuine complexity, which we don't always see from some of the other characters as they're kind of consumed in the overwhelming physicality of their performance. I think Porter really has genuine star quality and will be around for a long time to come, and that really comes across in this film. It's also a very strong primal man versus nature story. There's man against the elements. There's a concept of revenge for anybody who's familiar with the films of Werner Herzog, such as Aguirre, Wrath of God or Grizzly Man you might have seen. It really lends itself to those themes as well. Apocalypse Now is another film that it reminded me of. And it's that intensity of the experience, um, coupled with the cinematography. It had a lot of publicity at the time because it was all shot with natural light and very harsh, brutal conditions. There was lots of publicity about the struggles the actors and the crew went through getting the film made. And that really comes across on screen and adds to this very raw cinematic experience I think but aside from that there's also a strong emotional and spiritual power to the film I think it's quite a sensitive respectful portrait of Native American culture which can often be depicted in quite a crass manner in some films it's fair to say but this seems to be dealing with that subject in a slightly more mature and as I say sensitive fashion and it's just a remarkable film it's flawed there's no doubt about that but it's unlike anything you've ever seen before it does work on the small screen Um, lots of people thought it wouldn't necessarily translate but I think it does and I just urge you to try and see it because it's a film that you can't fail to have an opinion about I don't think our next film is Joy. Uh, this is based on the true story of Joy Mangano. Uh, she's a housewife turned entrepreneur who went on to create the Miracle Mop in the 1990s. Uh, so Joy is a, a young woman who's divorced. She's living with an extended family, including her grandmother. Uh, her ex-husband is in the basement. She's got three children to bring up. This is a 12 certificate from the BBFC, and we put it as 11+. plus. 
So we think uh, it can be enjoyed um, by anyone of a secondary school age. I don't know anything about charts or business, frankly. But I do clean my own home. And I made this mop because it is better than anything else out there. So firstly, anyone studying business should really relish this film. It's one of those films that doesn't shy away from what it is to be an entrepreneur or an inventor. It shows things like the accounting side, the financial side of having and running a business. Joy is actually, uh, at one point, she meets Bradley's Bradley Cooper's character, who is TV controller. We see her having to present, having to sell, not only to a TV audience, but to callers on the phone to boardrooms full of you know largely male older male characters uh, so it really goes into the specifics of business also intellectual property is something that it covers in detail and we um, have resources here on how intellectual property is key in terms of film and the film industry and uh, joy does it for the miracle mop yeah you're identifying it through this young person's eyes a young person who's hugely popular as a movie star with audiences around the world and I really think it's empowering for particularly young women to watch this film and um, and hopefully gain inspiration for their own ideas. Yeah, so you've got somebody who carried the Hunger Games, or helped carry the, was the focus of the Hunger Games series, let's say, and all of a sudden you've got this audience who will who will go with her through these other films and, and will follow them. We've got reviews on our site from different ages, actually, and all of them, at time of recording, are very positive about this film and really like it. And I think Joy's character as well, not only Jennifer Lawrence playing the character, but the actual character of Joy herself is very well written. She's very shown to be very strong whilst at the same time having clearly having her own flaws and so someone like Lysia Vikander who we were talking about earlier and her off-screen rise uh, Jennifer Lawrence as you say is already a star and so roles like this are perhaps written for her. Okay so next up we have Bridges Spies um, which is a 12 certificate and we got 11 plus and it's a Cold War set thriller from director Steven Spielberg. Based on a true story it stars Tom Hanks as James Donovan and he's a lawyer who's brought in to represent a Soviet spy called Rudolf Abel who's been put on trial in the United States in 1957. You can't accuse Abel of being a traitor. He's not an American. Listen to yourself. You're defending him already. You're rehearsing it on me. You said you were just thinking about it. I am just thinking about it. It's very hard. Everyone deserves a defense. Every person matters. A few years later, Donovan's asked to go to Berlin to negotiate the exchange of an American pilot captured when his spy goes down in Soviet Russia for Abel. It's a tense and highly sensitive situation and it becomes even more complicated when an American student visits his girlfriend in East Berlin and finds himself forbidden to travel back. As I say, it's a Cold War thriller and it very much is in keeping with those murky, paranoid cat and mouse Cold War thrillers that we probably all know and have long been a fixture of cinema. So films like Tinker Taylor Sold a Spy or The Spy Who Came In From The Cold and The Conversation, all films that are known for their kind of understatement and quietness and focus on mysterious playmakers behind the scenes, which this film very much plays into. In terms of the plot as well, it's very um, A Tale of Two Cities. It's got this Mm. uh, quite drawn out setup where you're introduced to first the US and then 
Soviet Russia and you're never given any really sort of context as to what's going on and who these characters are and you're wondering where the connection's going to come. Absolutely. And you've got this focus around, obviously, Tom Hanks um, as the central character and he very much has an ability to communicate with people in ways that others can't. And his humble family-led approach um, made him a very classic Spielbergian leading man. Spielberg's films often get categorised into the blockbusters and the so-called serious films, and this is a serious film, alongside films like Schindler's List and Munich and Lincoln. And these films are partly characterised by their focus on behind-the-scenes strategies and individual struggles to drive through chains and standing up for what is right in the face of others. What Spielberg tends to do is provide relatable human insights into world events that can often be bewilderingly complicated and horrific. And he doesn't overly analyse or become bogged down in contentious intellectual debate. These leading men are often characterised by decency and strength of mind and trustworthiness as well. And there's probably no film star who embodies that more today than Tom Hanks. You know, these films are often accused of getting bogged down in sentimentality, and that's something that's often targeted at Spielberg and Hans in particular. But for me, I think there's a more kind of ironic, cynical, and kind of quietly rebellious side to these characters that often gets overlooked. One of the many striking elements in British Spies is the manner in which so many scenes in the film appear to mirror one another. And that, again, it got accused of having an overly sentimental ending, but for me... This mirroring of the scenes, which will become apparent when you watch it, kind of complicates that and questions the idea that it's just a simplistic act of patriotism. Our next film is The Big Short. Now, this is a satire on the global financial crisis, adapted from a book, and it's about the true story of four individuals who spotted this impending crisis uh, of 2008 and who attempted to take advantage of it. So in the mid-2000s, a group of four outsiders in the banking industry all noticed something that the banks, the media and the government failed to spot. And that was this huge crash that was about to happen. And armed with this information, they came a plan that they called the Big Short, which essentially was to take advantage of this opportunity and to make a lot of money from it. And it's fair to say that the film doesn't get bogged down into dry financial jargon. Yeah, that's exactly right. So... Uh, but at the same time, it's a bit of a strange one because the way they tackle it is they don't ignore um, the the numbers or the data or anything else to do with uh, the industry or the financial institutions. Uh, but what it does do very well is they make this whole uh, this whole thing very accessible to a younger audience, a broader audience, whilst not dumbing down. And that should be admired, really. As I guess the question is how, how the film does this, or how it achieves this. It puts high-profile actors in the lead roles, people like Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Christian Bale, um, Brad Pitt. So, you know, people who are very easy to watch and who do lend not only credibility, but really uh, an enjoyment to the whole process. Absolutely. And there's a kind of very YouTube style form, you know, very fast paced editing, lots of short form montages going on. It's all a bit chaotic even at times, isn't it? But yeah, it's not um, very bright and yeah. it's like Vegas or something in a way, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And and Ryan Gosling as well does have this again very tongue in cheek voiceover which guides you through in a way that's sort of intentionally patronizing and actually good exposition at the same time. Mortgage backed securities, <laughs> subprime loans, tranches. It's pretty confusing, right? Does it make you feel bored? 
or stupid, well, it's supposed to. Wall Street loves to use confusing terms to make you think only they can do what they do. The other thing the film does is to balance um, its tone uh, amazingly well. So it's trying to be funny um, and to provoke anger uh, and even has a bit of sort of melancholy all at the same time. So it's a really interesting one, a very, very difficult one to get right. Um, it's trying to inform the audience whilst doing this. Uh, it wants to entertain and yet, you know, it's, it's trying to make people laugh whilst remembering you know, the actual events. It's also the idea of the protagonists being, you know, quite dislikable in their own way. Again, there's this strange sort of disconnect going on where they're, they're very funny and we enjoy spending time with a lot of them, but you recognise that they're doing horrible things and they're profiting from catastrophe and they're not alerting the authorities in any meaningful way. So with this film, we've also got a review here from our young reporter, Jake, and he's going to tell you what he thought of the film. The Big Short is one of those films which enable you to feel a range of emotion and plays on your mind for days, if not weeks after. It's a cleverly woven film based on the true story of four men whose lives run parallel to each other, leading up and into the housing crash of 2008. At face value, the story seems to follow the plucky underdogs who are facing the big banks and want to stick it to the man. But in reality, it reveals the extent of corruption and fraud within the American banking system. As the movie goes on, we see the characters becoming more and more disgusted with their financial peers because of their lack of compassion for people and their ability to set aside all ethics in order to make money. As a viewer, it is frustrating because we are powerless to do anything but watch as our characters struggle with the temptation. In my opinion, one of the great things about this film is the way in which it presents the complicated world of the financial industry and makes it approachable for everyone. This involves great cutaway scenes in which celebrities such as Selena Gomez and Margot Robbie explain banking terms such as subprime loans. This, coupled with the direct address to the audience that occurs more than once, makes it really watchable and ensures the film never goes stale or drops the ball. The Big Short is highly watchable, and one of the main reasons I loved it was the way it was laced with the dark, pessimistic humour, whilst also possessing an unsettling truth, which keeps the viewer grounded and constantly reminds us that this really happened. For me, the character that kept this alive the most was Steve Carell's character, Mark Baum. Though he seems like a no-rubbish typical stock character, he becomes one of the most well-developed as we learn about his backstory and we see how his scepticism evolves and he becomes the most shocked about the system around him and the most conflicted about the injustice of it all. The Big Short is brilliantly directed by Adam McKay and it delivers a powerful, hard-hitting message about the banking system whilst also keeping people entertained and laughing. Once finished, you do want to watch it again, if not only to witness the way each of the characters change and grow. The film is able to draw out sympathy, laughter and sadness from us and leaves us the way any good movie should, wanting more. Okay, so finally, last but certainly not least, we have Spotlight, which is um, another 15 certificate and a 14 plus. Um, that's mainly due to the language, um, although, you know, do be warned, it obviously deals with some very sensitive subject matter, so bear that in mind if you're going to show it to any young people. Um, set in 2001 and 2002, it tells the true story um, of the investigation by journalists at the Boston Globe newspaper into abuse perpetrated by um, Catholic priests across the city, stretching back decades, and the cover-up of the practice, which, as the film goes on to make clear, uh, took in some of the city's highest religious, legal and political institutions, um, as well as the Boston Globe itself. So it was, to some, the surprise Best Picture winner um, at the 2016 Oscars. But for my money, quite rightly so. I don't know if you agree, Michael. Yeah, yeah it was my favourite of the few, I have to say. Very strong competition, but I, 
of a particular place in my heart for spotlights. It's a really engrossing and riveting drama, but told in a very understated way. Um, like the journalism that it's portraying, the storytelling is very painstaking and methodical and unflashy, but it's also pretty gripping and devastating in its approach, ultimately. Um, there's a real clarity to the narrative and complex issues are discussed in ways that don't patronise the audience um, or, more importantly, trivialise the events that took place. And it deals with its subject matter very sensitively. What I also love about this film is that the focus is completely on the work itself. We see very little of the journalist's private lives, except the way it plays a specific role in the investigation, and they're not portrayed as heroes, as we discussed just now with The Big Short. It's also a brilliant ensemble piece, so it's an all-star cast. So you've got Michael Keaton, Mark Ruffalo, Rachel McAdams, Stanley Tucci, John Slattery... Um, all playing prominent roles. Uh, Liev Schreiber as well, we should say, who comes in and does a stellar job, is a really fantastic job, actually, doesn't he? Absolutely, yeah. For my money, um, he kind of steals the show. So he is um, he plays Marty Barron, who is the new editor at the Boston Globe, and he comes in, and it it's very much a theme of the film how it takes an outsider to help bring about this investigation, and he comes in and immediately sets the wheels in motion and kind of highlights something that perhaps the um, the rest of the journalists have been kind of willfully turning a blind eye to. It's also a great film that kind of documents the mechanics of newsrooms. It's very reminiscent of All the President's Men, if anybody has seen that. If you haven't, you should do so immediately. And just a little bit of trivia. So uh, John Slattery plays Benjamin Barron um, in the film, who was the kind of lead journalist during the um, Spotlight investigation. And Ben ba- Ben Barron is the son of the editor of the Washington Post in All the President's Men, who is also called Ben Barron. So a real journalistic dynasty there. It also takes place at a very specific historical time. Um, it's just before the internet started to encroach on everything. We get hints of it, and it's sort of discussed in the film. They are not really sure what the internet means for them at this stage of their careers um, or for the newspaper itself and the industry. And it's also, again, going back to the big short, pre-financial crash. So it's when newspapers had a much larger array of resources available to them. And it's probably fair to say we don't see many investigations on the scale of Spotlight today in modern journalism, do we? So that's all of our films for this week's episode. Thank you for listening to Interfilm Recommends. You can find all of the uh, films available to order on interfilm.org and we'll also provide links to all of the resources on uh, in the show notes on SoundCloud. Absolutely. So we've got film guides, we've got blogs, we've got interviews with the stars and directors, you name it. There's stats of information on the website, so do go and check that out. Um, do also get in touch on Twitter at interfilm underscore if you've got any feedback regarding the podcast or anything else you'd like to discuss with us. You know, if you've watched the films, any opinions on those, suggestions for next term's podcasts, perhaps, whatever it might be, we'd love to hear from you. All of our previous podcasts are available on SoundCloud to listen to or you can download them to listen to them on the go. Don't forget to tune in next time for our final podcast before summer, which will be primary themed. You've been listening to Interfilm Recommends, and our podcast today has been Into Summer. <laughs> <laughs>